Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode 11 of Staying Alive with me, Jesse Smith. A podcast about how artistic folk keep those creative juices flowing. up everybody i hope you're all safe and well thank you so much for tuning in once again so as lockdown eases further we've now been told from august 1st we'll be able to restart live indoor performances subject to the success of some pilot shows i wonder what these performances will look like i mean i for one hugely welcome the news and look forward to getting back on stage asap even if the new normal is a little bit different to what we remember for a while So, on with the show, and this week's guest found fame in 1981 with his band Haircut 100, whose debut album Pelican West peaked at number two in the UK album chart. His songs Fantastic Day, Love Plus One and Favourite Shirts Boy Meets Girl were all smash hits until the band's collapse shortly before production was about to begin on their second album. Since 1983, he's been a hugely successful solo artist and has written some just beautiful songs such as Whistle Down the Wind, Kite and Blue Hat for a Blue Day. I've had the pleasure of working and writing with him and he's been a great mentor to me over the years. We had such a cool conversation that took a few interesting tangents, as it usually does. So I really hope you enjoy it and I'm so lucky to have him on the pod. This week's guest is songwriting royalty, Nick Haywood. surprise isn't it really i mean if we we would actually have all prepared for this for years wouldn't we if we yeah. coming you know we would have all all got our gear and all got ready right it's coming it's coming right okay i've got some savings got some savings here we yeah. go going under right okay get creative yeah exactly um the trouble is it just took everybody totally <laughs> unaware and everybody's kind of just making their their hundred quid lasts a lot longer than, mm. and uh, you know, I mean, I first thing I did was just well, actually, before it kicked off, I dug up the lawn because I thought I'm going to need vegetables, uh, right. to, you know, because I decided to um, devote my life more to creativity anyway. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to step out of the because I'd I'd gone over to the UK and and gone to lots of meetings and. You know, sometimes uh, a process of finding out what you do want to do is by a process of doing what you don't want to do. Sure. You know, that's how you find out, uh, by doing, you know, because somebody can say, oh, do you want to do this? And you go, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I want to do that. And then you do it and you go, oh, okay, yeah. And then suddenly, sometimes you would go literally like, there's no way on earth I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it does definitely focus and clarify what you do want to do. So I had a load of meetings with, you know, with people, not just record companies, you know, because they're, they're all lovely people, all great and everything. But it just clarified for me which what I thought was a proper way to go. Mm. 
absolutely if, for me it, it manifests itself almost physically because i you know you you've known me for a long time i'm quite an emotional person and i find it very difficult to hide my emotion i you know yeah. and um you know if i'm forced into not forced you know but if if i'm working with something and it just doesn't feel right i it makes me moody and you yeah. know i i just I, i'm not the sort of happy go lucky person that i normally am so it's so yeah it's almost like a physical manifestation for me i'm just like i need to get out of this you know and yeah, i think yeah. your your body just tells you doesn't it yeah it's like aspie he's he's a cancerian isn't he and he's more kind of like in his shell and you don't really know what's going on and you don't mm. does he not you know, so you you are opposites. That's why you're in a band and you you work creatively and stuff. And your mates, you yeah. can tell that, that one completes the other in that way. You know, you're very open. Absolutely. Shell. You know, you don't have a shell. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I told the shell to fuck off, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I was thinking earlier, like the the first uh, the last time that we saw each other. I, I think, unless you can remember, I, I think it was in Soho. We had we had a milkshake with Ollie, your son, obviously, and uh, I was going through my vegan phase. It was in <laughs> Soho somewhere, and you, you told me I looked really thin and pale, and I could do with some fish. That's that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, and I am basically a pescatarian now, so I don't know whether it was you or not, but it, it kind of rubbed off. So, but I feel I feel kind of better for it anyway. But <laughs> it, it, no, because what I discovered was that uh, it's it's not so much that you need fish; it's that you need to have less carbs. Because yeah. I found if I was just living off carbs, the, it triggered off lots of other things, like uh, it, it triggered off. Um, allergies, mm. whether it was allergic to trees or whether it was being allergic to sensitive to foods, it just made everything heightened sensitivity. It just wasn't, it was in, an imbalance somewhere. Mm. So people start adding in things like small bits of fish and you start becoming more oriental in your diet somehow. Mm. Um, it just it more balanced Then, just generally. I mean, I don't think the body knows what, is what but just when things are more balanced it can kind of settle down so it's not probably not necessarily fish i mean i'm sure there are people that uh know their onions quite literally mm -hmm. and they'll go ah oh, i need to add some more beans and i need to add some more peas and i need to add some more walnuts and whatever it is but the trouble is when you're a touring musician walnuts you know peas and certain foods are just not available Anyway, uh, so you, you know, I don't know about you, but you end up taking with you loads of food, you know, so you've got. Yeah. I really struggled in, you know, certain parts of Europe and stuff. And I know I know tons of musicians that are vegan or vegetarian that eat so badly, you know, like you say, because it's just it's quick, fast food. You know, it's carbs and sandwiches and cheese, yeah. and, you know, too much of that stuff isn't good, is it? And then you can suddenly just like get on a downer you know something can happen and another thing happens and then you don't eat for a long time and then a, you know you won't be able to deal with a situation so well because you you're, you've got sort of like heightened sensitivity going on um because sometimes you know having a great diet gets you through lots of things it's like mm -hmm. yoga if you do yoga you can get through pretty much anything i mean when i look at young people doing yoga I think good on you because you've got a whole life ahead of you of doing yoga. That mm. means have a breakup. 
you won't hit you so hard as if you weren't you know if you're not doing yoga you know you might get straight into drink immediately you know you won't eat well it, you take a dive physically and then you're prone to dis-ease in your body and before you know it you might have a whole year or two of completely losing it and then one thing leads to another and before you know it you're spiraling into something and then you know it might take your friends or just going so bad that you come out of it and sometimes that suffering can be the thing that wakes people up truly but you still when I look at somebody doing young person doing yoga I think they haven't got that experience so much because you know they're there and they're strong you know that breath that they're doing means great decision making absolutely yeah a great decision making isn't it you know in, in one's career in anything you know like when this virus kicked in it's great decision making you know not going into a panic immediately and sure. it was i don't know about you but like watching some of the uh the the film of of the hospitals and people dying was you know you felt like you were just going to everybody's funeral you know mm. last week it was harrowing you know, and you can't stay in that place. You can't stay just going to everybody's funeral. No, absolutely. I actually, there's, I've, I know three people kind of that I knew directly that have actually passed away from this so far. So it's wow. been, it's been, and it's been horrendous, you know, but, and it was the, it was Italy for me because Italy sort of hit before it was bad there before here. And it, yeah, it was seeing the scenes of, because I've been to Italy so many times and I love the Italian people and Italian food and, uh, you know, lots of the Italian culture. And it just mm. really hit me seeing that. And, um, mm. but yeah, you've got to be proactive, haven't you? Like you're saying, you know, I, I, um, I, I very quickly, I don't know why decided that I was going to do these online gigs and they've been brilliant. Actually, it's been so good just for me mentally more than anything, you know, just, mm. just knowing that I've got a gig this week and, and, yeah. um, and, um, People have been really generous. They've been donating um, for me doing the gigs, and it's kind of I've and as I've got as I've gone on, I've got the, the tech sorted out so it looks better and sounds better, and it's just given me things to do and think about, as well as this podcast, of course, which is mm. which is another thing that um, I've been meaning to do for a long time, and it's sort of given me the kick up the bum I needed to to do it, and it's been so lovely, it's, you know, just to catch up with friends like yourself that I haven't spoken to in ages, and and um. Yeah, just watching you. I've been watching you here. That's, ah, you. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, well, thanks, Nick. Well, you know, you were a big mentor to us back in the day. I, I was thinking as well, you know, I mean, uh, for everyone listening, I mean, we, my band, The Quote, supported you, um, you guys, when Haircut 100 reformed at the O2 Indigo, wasn't it? And that, that's yeah. almost 10 years ago, Nick. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's extra fast mm. that's the concord of time it is absolutely and ob obviously um, four years yeah yeah no yeah. totally it feels the same to me it feels like feels like yesterday i remember it so well and you know mm. but that was such a big opportunity for us at the time so you know and, and obviously with our songwriting when we were recording that album and everything you know you were really kind of a mentor to us so you know looking back i kind of i don't think i realized how much I appreciated that at the time. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I mean, I, you know, it's a, it's a strange uh, record business that it's turned into mm. uh, even from that point, because it was going through a transition even then, wasn't it? It was a huge transition, you know, mm. like the old way of, you couldn't just go up to London, play a lot and get signed. It's that seemed to be something that was in the past too. 
you know, every every which every channel you always did didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody trying a new channel or something because they what they used to happen was there were cultural waves that happened musically, and they they always happened in London mostly, mm-hmm. and then spread. You know, sometimes it was Manchester, obviously. You know, there was a whole wave there and Liverpool and, and things, but mainly there were these London waves of cult- cultural waves, and you just hopped on. Um, and it was just let's just like here's another one, and we're all now kind of jumping up and down in a scar band. Oh, now we're all kind of new romantics, okay? Mm. Now, okay, there's all there's a Brit funk kind of movement thing going on. Oh, I find myself kind of like dancing in clubs, and <laughs> uh, and I've got a band. Oh, well, all the band are doing it the same. Oh, we're there. Oh, suddenly, it's possible, and you you can. And it was down to your age as well, but. But I noticed that 10 years ago when we were trying to do it, it was a bit like, what was the music business? We, no, nobody really knew what it, it was. It was changing so quickly. And then it changed quickly every year. It was getting faster and faster. It was like a runaway train speeding up. And until now, um, the difference between the corporate world and I don't want to say the rest of us, but, you know, everybody who is working in it and, you know, being creative and earning a living and, you know, just being in music, it's, 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 it's two completely different things. You've got like, the corporate world going on where it's just, you know, it's about five artists or something, all kind of just, that's it, you know. Mm. And then you've got the rest of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't, I don't get my creative inspiration from those five artists no it's the stuff going on on npr you know if you if you're on instagram and you look at npr and tiny desk concerts and things mm. and these brilliant artists and brilliant bands whether they're solo artists or two people or, or the creativity that's going on the ingenuity in, in the music is just so inspired and that's where it's all going on it's it's people you know, okay, they might not be highly produced pop music, but that's not an interest to people. And I think what's happening is is just that's the place to go. There, there, there's there's no down in the music world. There's a down in the music business because it's turned into whatever it's turned into, a kind of IKEA. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still doing. They've still got the same sofa they were selling like ten years ago. You know, and it's like okay. And um, and the, but if you if you know if you want um, interesting vintage stuff and if you want creative stuff and everything, you just don't you don't go to IKEA, do you? You know, it's it's, it's, it's the same th- same thing. I'm so inspired by the bands and the artists that I see. I've just got a list of them constantly on my phone. I just you go, wow, who who's this Spanish band that all mm. the five people playing acoustics and they they stop at the same time and they really odd twisted chords and they start up again and they stop i've got it on my phone it's brilliant amazing um, amazing artists just um brilliant funk bands like there's a brilliant funk scene going on now and you i didn't you wouldn't know that if you didn't look in those nooks and crannies if sure. you just to the main chart or you look to the, the corporate world you wouldn't know that there was a there's a brilliant funk movement brilliant jazz movement going on 
Not at all. Yeah, I think I think it's about finding your people these days, isn't it? I think it's about doing it for yourself, releasing, you know, really good stuff and then and then going and searching and finding your audience. You know, that's that's the difference, I suppose. Whereas before, you know, maybe when, you know, when you were starting out with haircut, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to sign you. We're going to put you out there Mm -hmm. and we're going to make we're going to make people like it. You know, like you said, kind of (laughs) riding that wave. It was like darts. There was one dartboard and you all played and you knew that you knew the game, you knew the rules. And that's what it was. And that dartboard was pretty much top of the pops. And, you know, the number one spot was the bullseye. And everybody was kind of like going there like sperm. You yeah. know, <laughs> let's get to the egg, you know, and if you fertilize the egg, way, you know, it's like baby time. And then it's like you've got a whole life ahead of you. And then, well, but now it's just, OK, um, no dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Okay. We're all, we're all just sperm floating around an abandoned womb. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we, could, we could go through that analogy and get. Uh, <laughs> we'll all, um, yeah. uh. A whole different thing now. Mm. Yeah. You know, one day support the Who at uh, Wembley. They might not, you know, you might say, oh, my God, that's that crazy Spanish band I saw on NPR, you know. But there's just brilliant musicians and brilliant players, singers, you know, they've all been, everybody's been growing into it over the years, you know, because it's such a vast thing, music. You know, there's more music shops, there's more music courses, there's more music everywhere. But everybody kept thinking, but there doesn't seem to be any career for them. How is everybody going to sustain themselves? And now this is what it is. Everybody's just going out there and doing it anyway. Mm, yeah. Definitely. And that's why I think in the UK there should be more like NPR. Yeah. Like that, which is which NPR is just national public radio, which is just paid for by people. That's all. Um, you know, because it's that thing of now you still have you still have a thing of okay, I've got my band together. Where do we get known? Um, and you still have to get a promotions person. Whereas if it's national public radio, you just go on it and it's how good you are. And it's just lots of creative people on there being creative and mm. come and play in your town and it'll be known. I, th- I think that, it, that the arts has to be encouraged in the, in the UK. It has to be invested in. But with right wing governments, you're not going to get anything like that because they're, just, they're anti-arts. You know, they don't. The arts. They don't want free-thinking people. They don't want this stuff. So um, it just we'll just have to kind of fund it ourselves somehow. And I think that the main music business has to start helping out because it one thing that this virus has exposed, and there's a bit of an angry mob brewing uh, at, the, at the moment, and that has exposed the inequality. Mm. It was covered up by live work. You know, it was a bit like as long as everybody's playing live, nobody will notice that we're taking nineteen million pounds a day of streaming. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's something like eight billion pounds a year. You know, and I've got friends in the on the music business side of it that have stayed in it and they've got quite high up, and they're just becoming incredibly rich through through this, and it's just. It's just an imbalance. It's 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 wrong. Uh, so if they started investing, it's a bit like you know, the troubadour in in LA is going to go under, and it's a bit like time for some really well-established artists to get behind that and say, 
well, no, actually, I've got 20 million pounds in the bank. I think we can keep the troubadour open, actually. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like I can afford it kind of thing. Um, and I, I think this virus is showing up lots of, I mean, even spiritual teachers, I've seen some of them, you know, posting throughout this, uh, the virus going 50% off, you know, and you think, what, 50% off Sermon of the Mount? You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's the, what kind of spiritual teaching is that? You know, um, so you're, you're just thinking, listen, you you know, a spiritual teacher, an independent spiritual teacher, you probably will. I know personally they have about 45 million pounds in their bank. It's just like, how much do you need? You know, and this is the whole kind of socialist ethic that goes on. You know, I think that it also showed up that and you're definitely not a right wing, right wing, too right wing, far right wing government doesn't. It may know how to win. But it doesn't know how to govern. And it's a bit like hand that over to other people to govern because they actually have compassion for people and the community. You know, you handle that that side of it, you know, all the people that just want to ransack stuff. But there has to be rules in place. There, mm. has, you know, there has to be investment in the arts and in the community and, and in, 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 the, in, in, in the NHS. I mean... How I feel, I feel like I'm ranting a little bit here. That's <laughs> no, okay. Kicked off. I thought I felt like a tweeting, and I didn't tweet because I don't like getting into bone fights on Twitter. But I just felt like saying, you know, thank God uh, we've got more missiles than masks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. More missiles than ventilators. You know, oh, so good. It's so good that I feel really protected. You know. Glad to Absolutely. know nuclear war all burnt alive that we you know we we got we all burnt alive together on some kind of like huge fire. Yeah, yeah. I've never I've never understood the whole uh, nuclear weapons thing. I mean, I I remember remember going on marches, you know, when I was younger uh, for the CND and stuff, and you know, it's 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 strange times we're living in, Nick, isn't it? But mm. um, it is showing the equality though. It's exposing a lot, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, it's exposing that, you know, you're seeing some people that are lording it up over others, you know, the kind of I'm, I'm all right, Jack brigade. Mm. You think, oh, my God, you know, it's, it's, it's their time to shine. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to show you around their uh, their riverside property, you know, uh, like it's like they've been waiting for this moment all their life to show you their riverside property. And, here, you know, here, here you are, you know. Not no lack of no self-awareness, no kind of like, oh, don't you think when people are losing their jobs, they won't want to actually clap and cheerlead you in this kind of like in your riverside property? You know, mm. so I don't think it's a time. It's not like a time to be to, to show up uh, envy and jealousy, but it's a time to show up uh, self-awareness and inequality. Definitely. You know, it's a time more for people to help each other rather than lord it up mm, definitely i think i think the thing we need more than ever for me anyway you know just wrestling away from politics for a second is 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 music and stuff you know I, I, it's made me appreciate even more the music that i love and and yeah. s- seek it out more you know because you know on a daily basis you know there's there's not much we can do when we're just sat at home apart from i mean for me to create and all that stuff and and um you know, I think people are genuinely seeking out the stuff that we do more, and I'm seeing more guitars and 
you know, pianos and stuff on Facebook than I've seen in years, you know. And I mean, I mean, I went to Glastonbury. I've been to Glastonbury a few years in a row, but I went last year. And I think it was it was genuinely kind of like the Saturday afternoon, having been there already for two days before I saw a guitar. And I was just like, you know, and that that's cool. I mean, that's the type of music that is out there. But, you know, for, for people like us that obviously love writing and playing instruments and, you know, the sound of strings vibrating and stuff. Mm. Um, I think I think it's maybe it's putting that more into focus, you know, people, mm. especially for people of my generation and older. You know, mm. I think we're missing that, missing those drums and guitars and bands and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's uh, anybody would think that it's disappeared, but it's not. It's you know, like living in you know, having lived in Reading, mm. you know how important it is to be in a band, and mm. how many there are still there, and how many people that want to be in a band, and uh, you know, it's almost like being in a band is a passage of rights sometimes because you, you know, you you wouldn't have take that away, would you? That that thing, that camaraderie of being in a band with your mates, no, and of course, meeting up, and um, you know that that's I've I've read um, I've been reading lots of you know sort of books in in this period as well, which is really good. But I really like Mark Hamode's book where he, you know, because he had that that zest to be in a band and want to be big. And being a band—that's all you sort of like think of. It's sort of kind of like just this is what we're doing, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's—I wouldn't take that away from. I mean, imagine just not having that. I don't think communities would be as as happy if you didn't yeah. have that. You know, you didn't have the music shop, and you didn't have going along there, saving up and buying an instrument. Sure. And going and playing with other people and then creating something completely new. I mean, when people do this together, something really new happens, doesn't it? You know, mm. it is a magical thing that happens when people just come together and play together. Well, it's then- human, isn't it? It's it's a it's a human thing, you know. And you know, if one individual sits on a computer and creates something with the same plugins everyone else has, it just becomes a bit monotonous for me. I mean, there's something. There's something soulless for me watching a DJ perform to 80,000 people. But when it's the food fighters, it's just a different kettle of fish, isn't it? But did, did, did you always want to be in a band? I know when you started out, you were a, you, you started out as an artist, right? You used to paint and draw. And is that right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I liked record sleeves. You know, mm. that was uh, the main thing. And I became a commercial artist to uh, up in London to do record sleeves they they did record sleeves at this place i was working at which was i was a junior and um there was a room where this guy called joe mckiddy cuddy did records <laughs> and, Cuddy, what a name brilliant name isn't it <laughs> and uh yeah it was like the the guy the and the guy in the other room was called harvey rinkoff uh, <laughs> and uh and then the guy who was the as a studio manager was called Ken and he, he looked like David Essex who'd been, uh, and he drove a green skimmeter car, which was the same car that uh, princess Anne drove at the time. So I remember being so, this was a posh car he was driving mm. and um, he wore a leather jacket with the turned up here, you know, and he had hair, hair like yours. And he was all a bit like that, you know, and, uh, 
I, I, as a young scrag from Beckenham, I like looked at him. I was, I just thought, wow, these are these are people. These are real um, characters. You know, these are real, real people. And they did. They had this room that did the sleeves in, and uh, punk was just starting to sort of kick off at that particular point. And I was sent to Polydor Records, and I took a parcel, and it was this guy called Chris Parry, uh, Fiction Records. And uh, I sat outside this office, and I thought, oh, this is a record company. You know, this is this is amazing. I hadn't really thought about music d- doing it. I mean, I, I loved it, but I just didn't play anything you know mm-hmm. so um and then um this chris perry came out and he said uh, okay son uh come in so i came in went into this office and he said uh stick your demo on then really wow sorry, delivering some artwork uh and it was even oh sorry sorry about that hey you know i said well you know i i, I do want to get into music <laughs> so, no way and he said, "Well, you know, if you ever do, you know, um, come back." And I and, and actually, what I had delivered when I gave it to him and he opened it was um, in the city, the Jam's first album sleeve. Wow. Joe McKinney was doing um, some artwork for that, and uh, many years not not many years later, not many years at all, uh, he came along to one of Hecker on his first gigs when we played uh, in Kensington with a band called the Tropicanos, who are like, uh, is, it, is it the college there? And that's the only gig we could get at the college supporting a band who played Caribbean music. Right. And uh, so uh, he came along um, and he was going to actually sign us from that time. So he remembered being in that office. So I've always got time for Chris Parry. Because, mm. I mean, I wanted to sign to Polydor for that, you know, but... Um, it was a different thing that happened, but that's that's how um, that's how simple the music business was then. Yeah, yeah, it was very simple. It was only that's all it was. And um, how quickly from that moment did you know did haircut sort of kick off? And uh, you know, because you got you got famous pretty quickly, really, didn't you? I mean, you had a platinum selling album. Yeah, I was impatient. Uh, I was really really impatient, mm. and. Um, and it, the door was closed. I, I definitely saw the door was definitely closed. There was no way we, we were ever going to make it. We weren't good enough, definitely. And um, we would have had to have become accomplished. And I thought, by the time we come, become accomplished, it's all going to pass us by. So there has to be another way. <laughs> 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 we send demo tapes to, to gigs, and they just said, no, you know, get yourself an agent. So you'd send a tape to an agent and they'd say, it's not good enough. And so I kept thinking, this not good enough thing, that's that's not good. Uh, that's going to keep going on and on and on. Um, there has to be another way. You know, so I was always thinking of another way, you know. Mm-hmm. So trying to get into some club and uh, not tonight, son, uh, no. No, not we know. You know, you go up to the doorman and you're dressed in the best tie going, and you know, and he says no, no. And in in the end, you just think, oh fuck it, I'm going in the back door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like when we got in. Do you remember when we got in to uh, see? Oh, who's that band uh, up at with Nigel when we went to see 
I think it was Alt J, wasn't it? J, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Mm. It was like their, it was their last gig. I think they'd just been signed and they were playing the borderline. It was like a fan only event. And we, we literally snuck in the back door, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got so much respect for Nigel for doing that because there was this yeah. moment when a guy obviously just saw us bunking in yeah. and he looked at us and he went, Oi! And Nigel went, are we okay, mate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. I've got so much respect for you, Nigel. You are a really great manager. You know, he had, he, if you'd have, if you'd have like taken off like Joy Division or something, he would have been a great, he would have been your guy. That yeah, Joy yeah. <laughs> I've got I've got loads of questions to ask you, but the the one that really kept popping out as I was kind of listening to all your stuff, um, revisiting some of it over the last few days is is um the kind of the themes in your music, which I love so much as a songwriter, especially the outdoor themes. You got you've got songs called Forest of Love, Perfect Sunday Sun, Club Boy at Sea, Whistle Down the Wind, the, the list goes on. And it's just amazing imagery. And I just wondered like, are you a particularly outdoorsy person, and is that just dripping through into the music, or, or, uh, or is it just the way that you think about love and life and the world? And um, it's, it's quite unusual, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I think as a younger writer, and uh, you know, as seen uh, digesting the world. And then trying to make you know make tunes and, and things and just doing stuff and you you know what it's like you're you don't know what you're going to write and then sometimes if you want to write something it's not as good as when you just write something absolutely yeah and, uh, so obviously the stuff like whistle down the wind was um, that was actually a really early song that I've been playing around with for a long time that came through a time when it was quite bleak musically. Uh, in about late 70s, mm. um, it was quite Manchester, certain ratio period. Mm. And um, Leeds was kicking off. There was lots of bands like monochrome set and things. And people wore raincoats. And it was called like the Raincoat Brigade. And there was uh, Cocteau Twins. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cocteau Twins. No. Oh, there's so much music out there for a certain period. And uh, I was really into bleakness. And um, so Whistle Down the Wind started that and so i had out the window look what's happening in my prison mm. day by day and then it used to go skinny black trees um and then it went off into th that bleakness um but then as i as i've got older and then just become felt connected the more and more with nature First of all, it was just cinema. You know, that was to I was just connected through. I think the, also the bleakness of Whistle Down the Wind was the, the film Whistle Down the Wind, which was an influence on, say, that song, which was black and white. And if you if you see Whistle Down the Wind, the original film, it's really quite depressing, mm. quite uplifting as as well. But the landscape is quite quite down. Mm. Um, and it is bleak. A lot, a lot of, you know, like Kess. Do you know the film Kess? Where the guy who keeps, a, he wants to fly a Kestrel. I don't think I have, actually. He has a you know, he's up in Leeds. And it's just that period. I remember that period so, so well. It was rough. And especially living in, in London, you know, there was, mm. it, it was, it was dark. 
Um, there were three-day weeks going on. Um, it just seemed to be always cold as well. And, mm-hmm. and So that was what I was initially writing about. And then it seems like now it's just better in, uh, in so many ways. But my outlook has changed. I mean, in 1998, uh, I felt connected to nature all in one night through uh, suffering. Uh, you know, my my mum was gonna was told she was gonna die from emphysema. Uh, all, my, all my relationships seemed to end in one night, and uh, my record contract ended, publishing deal. Everything just like ended in the same night. It all collapsed, wow. and um, and I was feeling very sorry for myself. And and uh, instead of you know that the frustration of 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 it, um, it got so bad that the other side of it just was the opposite completely. <clears throat> so I woke up and connected to everything. Um, I feel a little bit like that now, actually. Like it's, I get so much pleasure just from going to the park, you know, in because we because we can't, you know, and obviously living in London and everything's so quick and you know it's you know gigs and earning money and paying rent and stuff. And we just went for a walk today. There's two lovely parks right by my house, and and it really was just like super uplifting, like joyful experience. Just going to the park and. I know what you mean. I mean that that record you're talking about, North of a Miracle. I've I've got it on vinyl actually, and I absolutely love that album. I think it's such a masterpiece. And but mm-hmm. I, that that was going to be a question. It was you know you know I'm a lyrics person, and a lot of that album, you know, musically it's not so so down. I guess it you know there's definitely there's a lot of different things in there, isn't there? There's Spanish guitar and jazz and funk and pop and rock and but you know that probably my favorite song the date rain forever there's a there's a line making love just ends in sorrow and it's just heartbreaking you know and i just wondered whether that was whether it was like a true reflection of what you were going through at the time or whether that was intentional or you know is it is writing a stress ball for you um well actually i remember living in um kew gardens which has become pretty posh but it wasn't then because it was my friend dave who was <laughs> <a manager. laughs> he had a flat there and you know it was the way to live and work in London. Mm. And, um, and he, uh, I was kind of like doing demos for songs for, for things. And it's nice when you know you've got somebody that appreciates music as well, that is encouraging because I don't know about you, but it, it does spur you on, especially as a, when I was younger, it was like you, you were doing something and you thought, I know this is, I'm going to play this to such and such. Cause you know, They'll, they'll appreciate this. And um, the demo for Dirt Rain Forever had something in just in the lyric. I mean, I know it was, when it was recorded, it was with the 66-piece orchestra, and, you know, it was fun. Mm. At Abbey Road, right? Yeah. I mean, Jeff it was Rick. completely changed from this little demo that was a double-track vocal, an acoustic, two or, two or three acoustics playing together. And just, uh, I used to love drumming on the demos then, so it was just dry drums, very... But it did that thing of it got to the chorus and it just sounded massive. You know how you can mm. some, get a chorus sounding massive anyway with just three acoustic guitars and some reverb on your yeah. voice? <laughs> you know, and I think that's why it was a bit like, okay, when I come to do this and record this at Air Studios, I'd love to have <laughs> an orchestra. Mm. Um, it didn't make it any more... I mean, it was quite actually... The demo is really intimate 
um, in, in Sydney. But it had that that line, and it was because at the time I was I was actually supposed to be feeling elated because you know everything was going supposedly on paper if you'd write down like wow you know you're everything's wonderful but I was depressed and uh, the thing with um, the only thing that kind of made you forget you know I don't know if anybody else has experienced this if they've ever experienced you know full depression is that sex is the only thing where you don't think so for that moment you don't have any thought and you don't have any depression you don't have anything you're just you know you're just having sex mm. and at the end of it it's sorrow because you're depressed again mm. so where that line came from so at the end of sex or making love i was back feeling depressed again and uh, mm. feeling sorrow so that's why making love just ends in sorrow so I'm saying that, but somebody else might have just thought, I mean, I had one guy write to me and said, I'm, I've been gay uh, for, a, for a while and uh, I feel this lyric. You know, I can't, I feel like it's, it's too much. It's, it's too, um, you know, mm. it's too much to, that's how my life is, you know. Why do you think you were so depressed at the time? Obviously, you know, I know haircut obviously split up. I don't know whether it was anything to do with that or, you know, because... You know, you were a big star um, back mm. then, weren't you? Was it, was it, was it fame? Was it what? Was it relationships? I, was no, it just I, a number of things. Quite a few things. I, I, I think I would have definitely been there if if it hadn't have been fame. So, mm. I, you know, when I was sixteen and, and uh, around sixteen, seventeen, I was I was prone to it. I remember, you know, right. I had the beginnings of oversensitivity. Right. <laughs> you know, when you're when you have when you're younger and you have you're sensitive and overly sensitive, you don't want to be. You just want to be one of the blokes. So you yeah. don't want to have these thoughts, you know, and you can't talk to your mates about it unless they've got unless they've got unless they're sensitive to it. Mm. Otherwise they're just gonna kind of be like, Oh mate, you know, sort yourself out. Mm. So you just want to not think. You don't want to be this sensitive, but if you are, then you just have to be kind of, I don't know, sensitive in your own lunchtime or in, in your own um, room, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know that there's lots of other people going through it, but you just think you're the only person going through this, you know. It's, yeah. Everybody else is happy and everything else is is happy, and, and there wasn't any of the uh, social networking to, you know, in, to, in place. To There was nothing to... I mean, now, if I get any kind of um, even slight, slight mood or, or anything, you know, I've got the tools to just be able to just nip it in the bud easily. Mm. I mean, nowadays with things like EMDR and EFT and just you can just say it over and over. You know, I feel absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, good times. And you are, you feel absolutely amazing. It's just as simple as that. But when, you know, back in that particular period in time and being younger um it was just working through stuff uh, i think and uh so i don't i don't think i think being in a band and then and then losing my friendships that's that was the main thing that's why i was so upset at the, mm. the time because um i don't know i don't know about you but you know if if 
if the guys in your band, you know, ganged up on you and sued you, you and you know, and it wouldn't speak to you and, and things, and you, you, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Especially mm. if you did it together. For sure, know. for sure. Do you so think I, there was resentment there because of the, the the songwriting royalties and stuff? Is that do you think that's part of it? Because obviously you you wrote all those songs, didn't you? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I've, you know, I think it, in in bands sometimes the the songwriter and the singer is uh, is like people go, well, it's great having one, and then in other bands it's a bit like they resent that. Mm. And I don't know why that is. Uh, in some bands and some bands not, but um, uh, I mean, I I kind of I think you know, I've had many you know many years to think about it and work, yeah. work it all out and work out the kind of dynamics and the jealous brother syndrome that I I seem to have and I I seem to attract lots of love hate relationships that I don't do anymore. You know, I haven't got I've got zero tolerance for uh, hate love hate relationships now. Yeah. And, or love addiction kind of stuff. Because I think you can get love addiction even with male relationships sometimes. You know, people that just, you know, they want to lock in and compete with you. Now, you know, there's healthy competing. Like there's getting a football and going and playing and trying to score goals against the other. Or there's tennis and this stuff. And but if, you know, somebody's locking on and trying to actually be competitive with you genuinely, you know, they actually want, you know, they would like to see your demise. You know, yeah. That kind of stuff that's... um pernicious kind of mm. things uh you know no i haven't got time for that kind of stuff so i just know that as a younger man i i just seem to just have that i know you wrote fantastic day when you were so young do you think that was like a counterbalance do you think there was a juxtaposition there and that came through in some of your music as well um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, um, Fantastic Day is just the sound of a teenager, you know. Mm. It's, it's uh, the excitement and exuberance and thrill, you know, that you you have as uh, when you're that age. I mean... There's definitely an, in- an innocence about it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, and as a teacher, you know what it's like if you're standing by people that age now. I mean, you can feel the energy. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Fuck. The place, you know, <laughs> uh, that that kind of stuff. And then as you get older, you know, it's just a different kind of energy. And then you learn to be able to contain that, that energy. Mm. Um, I mean, energy is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because sometimes I feel like I've 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 been observing you as a singer, and I feel like is he like waiting there, and he consciously becomes like something very very strong and powerful, so that when he kind of unleashes this energy it comes out because sometimes as a singer you know if i haven't got if you haven't got that that energy you can tap into you just sing and sometimes you need to have that energy from from somewhere or something Mm. you seem to have that energy just it's just naturally there anyway um like sometimes i have to tailor make it like if i'm going and doing a gig and you've got lots of people there you have to really, I have to certainly really wind myself up somehow to get the energy to be there, to kind of go, right, I'm going to, I'm going to be that energy. And then when I'm, like some of these outdoor gigs that have been happening every summer, at the end of the six song set, I'm nearly physically sick. Mm. It's really overpowering. It's like, you know, for a 
for a guy in his 50s to stand on us anywhere shouting <laughs> um, is quite a lot. So I, I just feel like you're able to contain that energy like an eagle or an owl does when they kind of take off from the branch. They use that energy. They go down there. They, they grab the prey, but they don't waste energy, do they? They just kind of grab it and then they eat it and that's that. They don't, it's, not, it's not dispended. It's not wasted. It's contained energy. And um, so I, I, want, I wanted to ask you about that, how you do that as a, as a singer, because you must go out and have to, you can't live and breathe all that energy every, night after night, and yet you sound like you do. You, if you sound like, you know, rock is a lot. Like, looking at, look, at, look at the Foo Fighters. I mean, how does, how can you go flat out like that every night? I mean, it's. I think for me, it, it's a. I think it's a, it's an absolute kind of belief in in kind of my technique and stuff. I, I think I think a lot of the a lot of the training I had in my early 20s gave me the ability to seriously relax vocally, you know? Is that, um is that it relaxing? I I think for me it looks like you've got like you're super excited. Yeah, I mean I am in terms of performance for sure. I mean when I'm up there I guess it's being super confident and then just just trying to give as much as I can to the audience. I, I'm always focused on them and and giving them a good time. And especially if it's if, if it can be a tough crowd, you know, if you're on a Monday night somewhere in the middle of a tour, I feel like I have to give even more and just make mm. it larger than life and give as much energy as I can. Mm. Because as, as you well know, energy is a it's such a give and take and it's such a snowball effect, isn't it? And by the, you know, you get to this peak sort of knit towards the end of the gig and where you've given them and they've given you, and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and in this kind of energy exchange until it just explodes and then you do one more song and that's the end, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's about, about trusting and knowing that whatever I do is going to be okay vocally, I suppose. Mm. And then, and then just a real kind of competitive edge of just like proving myself, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I think that's always in my brain. I mean, maybe it's because, because, you know, most of what I do career wise, these, you know, apart from obviously romances and the quotes and stuff is, is singing covers. And it's, it, it's quite a competitive game. You know, you're always proving yourself, whether, whether it be when I did the West End thing or when I did the the film thing, the Gutsdamring thing, and I was I was turning up at these shows, and the people are there to see the show; they're not there to see you. Mm. So it's like, even though it's your gig and you've done it five hundred times, you've still got to prove yourself every night, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's that partly as well. You know, it's that kind of will willingness to kind of push myself and pr have to reprove myself all the time, I suppose. Um, and it's confidence, would you say? Because you, it, it seems like, you know, because have you ever lost that confidence? Have you and, and like felt exposed and felt like, oh my god, my confidence is not here tonight. Where the, is it? You know, and, and have you ever sung without confidence? I'm not. I don't think so. Actually, I'm. I'm a very confident person. I, I definitely lose confidence in other aspects of my career you know in in terms of uh songwriting and stuff you know i go through periods where i'll have you know six or seven unfinished songs and i'll they'll be sat there like kind of little gremlins on the shelf kind of 
poking their finger at me like you know you, you're not good enough to finish me and I, I have a real you talk about love-hate relationships yeah. I have a real love-hate relationship with writing um for that in that way and I'm so proud of so many songs I've written but like you say if you try and force it they just don't kind of come out but when it when it comes to singing not really I think I'm I have this kind of I think I have this kind of innate confidence actually and I'm kind of I've done it so many times, you know, so many bar gigs where people just don't give a shit. And uh, yeah, just this, I think I have this kind of innate confidence that, you know, that what will be will be. And I don't, yeah, so I don't worry about it so much, but it actually performing on stage. I mean, so do you think that you could use the same confidence in writing, like take that confidence that you have in singing and just do that with songwriting? Mm, I like definitely should. The neck, you know, like you could, yeah. like it's like no, no, no. The, my mindset is the same as when I sing. So when you go into songwriting, it's just with the same daring confidence. Absolutely, yeah, and that's really good advice. I mean, how, how do you approach songwriting? Do you, do you obviously you've been so prolific over the years? You know, you've got is it eight solo albums you've released over the years or? I'd like to be more prolific. I mean, I, I think that's why buying this microphone, I've got a really nice microphone that I, mm. it's like I, I couldn't afford it, but I couldn't afford not to get it. It's got right. that stage. What is it? It's a Neumann 107, which is not, it's not the expensive one, but it's just a, like a, they say it's the workhorse. You can do mm. pretty much everything with this, you know, wow. I can, it records uh, vocals really well. And, um, it records acoustic guitars really well, which is what I want to do. You know, I've got a setting up a booth over there where I bought some foam. I went to the local upholstery centre here. Yeah. Uh, just bought like a load of foam, and so I'm going to make my make my cupboard completely silent in there, so I can get some really close silent stuff and mm. really good recordings onto into Logic. And, is it um, is it like a day job for you? Do you wake up and try and write every day, or do you? Is it so when when the muse comes? How do, how does it work for you? Um, no, if, if I don't have the muse, I'll just force it because for the same reason, there's so many tools around nowadays that you can just force anything. You can be whatever you like. Mm. You can do whatever you want. You know, I force myself to get up on stage and do that stuff, just not because. You know, when I'm driving there sometimes um, and I pop into the service station and I'm browsing a magazine, I'm just I'm not thinking about anything. But I know that I've got the tools to be able to get in there when I know that I need to do whatever I need to do. Mm. You can just say stuff. I mean, affirmations are the most brilliant thing. You can just change the way you think immediately. You know, it's just it's just as simple as that. You know, if you don't if you think you you can say I'm a singing sensation to the, the hour that you need to drive to the gig. You could start out at the gig thinking you're crap mm. and awful. And, you know, everybody's going to be looking at my zit. And then <laughs> by the time you get to the gig, you are just raring to go and, like, give me that stage. Mm. And that's just by saying it over and over. I mean, how do we learn anything? How do we learn lyrics? How do we learn to do anything? We learn. That's how, you know, that's Repetition. how we, you know, you just do it over and over. I mean, you know, my, my mum was um, a secretary, doctor secretary. And when you watched her on her typewriter, 
she was like Rachmaninoff, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, if that had been a piano and she'd have just learned to play the piano instead of a typewriter, it would be Mozart. You know, mm-hmm. if you have taught her, I mean, Mozart was a child protege, but I'm sure it caught up. People caught up with him. And you can train people to do lots of stuff. You can train people to do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. But you can definitely, um, have, you know, it's a, I look at it as a day. You know, it's a day. It's a, you know, fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. You know, if I want to be whatever I want to be today, then just do it. So if when I get up, sometimes I get up and I don't even know who who I am, where I am, what what's going on. You know, for that initial mm. morning, you know, you could throw the day completely. Um, but I know with certain things you can do by just forcing yourself. Like I force myself into the shower for a cold shower pretty much every morning. It it really works. Mm. I force myself to do breathing. I force myself to do yoga because I know that yoga, breathing, stretching is just so beneficial in so many ways. And you don't want to do it. You never want to do it. But you never regret doing it when you've done it. And that's mm. the same as writing. You know, I'll just, I'll do, say, like a round of of tapping. Um, and I'll start with, even though I don't want to write songs today, I choose to love and accept myself. And, you know, five minutes later, um, I'm sat down with a guitar and something's coming out and you can even tap yourself to be, a, you think you're a genius and mm. off you go and you think it's genius, even, even if it's not, even if it doesn't turn up for you, don't allow it because, I mean, apparently genius is something that just comes through you. It's not, you know, you're not, one's not a genius. It's just allowing yourself to step aside and just, and just, and just be, you know, mm. If you sit there and just try and think stuff a lot of the time, it's just not going to happen. It's just like a comedian trying to be funny mm-hmm. or any, you know, trying to write. If you're sitting trying to write a song, then, you know, it's not. But, you know, the, it's, a, it's a process of doing. Whatever you do, one thing leads to another. It always, if you think that what you're doing is, because I don't know about you, but have you ever been writing and then your inner voice is saying, God, you're not really happening today, are you? Oh, God, that's awful. What are you mm-hmm. doing? And then you record it anyway, and then you don't listen to it, and then maybe you're checking it later, and you go, wow. Yeah. yeah. I go through so many processes like that when I'm writing. I mean, I go from going, oh, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever written. This is actually not as good as I thought. This is shit. This is, I never want to hear this ever again. And then a week later, I'll be like, oh, OK, this is this is quite good, actually. You know, I go through so many mm-hmm. processes. It just depends on the day, I suppose, for me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's super inspiring, Nick, what you've been saying. It's it's, um, you know, it, I think everyone can take take what you just said to heart about, you know, just just repetition and positive energy and just telling yourself you can do something. I'm not sure everyone has the innate ability to write as brilliant songs as you. But uh, but yeah. uh because you must have been born with something, right? Do you think? Uh, well, um, I think I think comparing yourself to others is where it can get it can get. That's a block. Sure. Because you know, it's like I'll I'll never be able to sing like you. I just I just won't be. But I can't think about that. That's a block. 
you know, I've just got to do what I do. Mm. And um, I'll never, I'll probably never, you know, all of us won't be Paul McCartney. You know, we'll never write Yesterday or Penny Lane or do this stuff. But it cannot stop us just being creative. Mm. You know, know, just, just we have what we have, you know. Otherwise, it's kind of a similar thing to just saying, you know, being envious of somebody who's taller than you, you know, it's, just, it's never sure. going to, it's never going to, you know, yeah, um, yeah. You have to do it, do it anyway. You know, you're in, we're all unique beings, you know, here to make a different. View. Yeah. You know, we're, we're different and it's brilliant that we are. It's so, it's so unique. Um, so you just have to accept that. I mean, perfectionism can be the worst thing. And uh, that's why I'll, nip that in the bud i mean not so long ago i was i wasn't coming in my studio at all and i'd made the room really lovely and i thought what on earth is why am i not in there mm-hmm. and I there for a week and, and i i said to sarah this is weird i'm not going into that room and that room is lovely mm. there's a block there's a block here and i don't want to find out what it what it is uh and so i was kind of like think th- you know think about it because sometimes you can't think, see for the wood from the tree. So you just got to sort of like breathe and say like 10 minutes of just breathing, um, conscious breathing, just focusing on breathing into your nose and out through your mouth. And so, I know why I'm not going in the studio, <laughs> you know, or you'll find yourself doing something. And I, I read something came to mind. Um, and that was a, a moment when I must have been about. 12 about 12 13 mm. and i was in my room and i had a nylon string spanish guitar and i'd just got it and i was practicing because i joined spanish guitar lessons at school and i was kind of doing it quietly because mum and dad were downstairs and so you know my brother was in the other room and he was kind of like I think he had headphones on, so he could he could do what it was like. But I was playing this, and I was trying to play it quietly. And I heard, you know, this was the 70s, by the way. This is not anything against my dad, but, you know, it was just like, shut the fuck up, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to have to go a bit quieter, a bit quieter. And then you got even louder up the stairs, and you just think, okay, you know, I'll play even, even quieter. Now, he lost it, and he came running up the stairs, came – into my room, picked up the guitar and smashed it on the floor. No and way. Walked out. And so I was left there with this broken guitar and sitting there and shaking, you know, with sort of like fear. And so I thought, I've got, I've got to clear that because that's, that's a block right there. That is, you know, I, and so I worked on it um, through tapping and stuff. And because whether you think that you are over stuff and whether you are, sometimes are two completely different things. They'll they'll always there. Sometimes the past is always present because it's the present. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's the, it, the 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 body remembers this stuff, and so therefore there was this resistance to going in into the into this great room, you know, this sanctuary, this bedroom. And to be in there being creative, because, you know, if you if your if your creative self thinks that somebody's going to come through and smash, you know, 
and be quiet and be quieter and be quieter. It's not really the. You know what, Nick? It's it's super interesting you talking about this stuff because basically all of the is still vocal training that I I did um, with a brilliant coach called Juliette Caton um, is is based around this. You know that you know you, I talked about this on another pod, but you know the the fact you never hear babies lose their voice. You know they can scream all day long. You never hear a croaky baby, and mm. and um, it's about. A lot of singing, I think, actually, is exactly what you're saying is about unlearning sort of bad habits that we've got from people telling us to be quiet. And, and um, you know, I mean, from 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 a very young age, we're told to sit down and shut up and be quiet and yeah, shush. And, you know, the, the shh that, you know, that's the worst thing you can hear as a singer, isn't it? Shh. Yeah. And um, and I think it's really powerful, actually, what you're talking about, because you can. You know, if you just stand on on your front doorstep and shout, you know, people would think you were so weird. But actually, it's it, as a singer, you need to be able to do that. You know, you need to be able to use your kind of your true kind of primal voice, um, especially if you know the type of singing I do. You know, I'm like you say, I'm kind of screaming. You know, um, and yeah, you have to have this kind of almost. Uh, all this this kind of raw almost you know it is this primal thing isn't it and mm. if 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 you've learned over the years to that that's a bad thing then then mm. i can see why that why that would be an issue yeah definitely <laughs> you know i mean uh, the uk is quite you know, that, that known as the land of suppression you know mm. shushed and it wasn't you know it's based in a victorian era you know where you just had to be silent and quiet and and mm. You're out in Miami, in Miami, aren't you? Um, I haven't, obviously, the people listening might not know that. So, what, what's uh, up north in, in Tampa? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's uh, what's daily life like out there for for you? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I'll tell you what, it's like living. Um, have you ever seen Flipper? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like that. You know, you have a, I, you have, you have a dolphin. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> I just like uh, I really like boatyards. Um, I'd like to live properly on a boatyard. I mean, we're in a, a like a real suburban street in Tampa. It's very it's very unlikely, unremarkable street. Um, uh, yeah, nothing posh going on at all. It's just like a very American very american streets mm. you know, this would be like the equivalent of the you know of living in um reading reading you know because well, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is, is you can live here and have a you know quite a big house and quite a bit of space around you and maybe a swimming pool and it would be the equivalent of about 120,000 pounds mm. And the you know the policeman would live next door, and the you know carpenter mm. and the plumber and the guy who's working in Starbucks and stuff, they would be there. It's very very normal. Um, whereas in the UK, to have that, you'd think, well, you, you know, who do you know that has a detached house? Even you know, that's mm. like a normal thing, is it? No, exactly. What well, do you know? What this um this pandemic has made me and Bayer realize that, you know, the, 
the one thing we definitely need next time we move is is a garden you know i mean you know you i'm lucky in that i've got a lot of parks around us you know so usually it's 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 okay we can go to the park but and we have a, we have a lovely apart you know like a two bed flat here and a, one room is m- my studio where i'm speaking to you from and then and it's a lovely apartment but just having that kind of outdoor space and you know we we really want to get a dog as well you mm. know just uh yeah. Is suddenly really high on the priorities list, you know. Well, these are normal things. These should be, you know, this has become uh, the normal thing that people younger cannot have gardens, you know, or can't have big spaces and things. And it's just, it's wrong. Well, a lot of my friends, you know, you know, can't even afford to have their own place, period. You know, I mean, there's there's married couples in London, you know, doesn't, you know, you know, thousands of them that live with other couples or other you know, and it's it's it is bizarre, isn't it? That yeah, yeah. You know, the, the way the rents are, people can't a married couple can't live by themselves. You know, it's quite sad. You know, yeah. because rents are so extortionate. But, yeah, it should be. You know, if you're if you have a job and your partner has a job, then you should have a house, and that's what it should be, and have a nice garden. And I mean, that's a very normal thing, but that has become it's not normal. Mm. And we, Everything. I know. You mentioned uh, Paul McCartney just now. I just wanted to ask uh, about this because I was listening to Woodland Echoes today, which I love. is such a beautiful record. And it's just got Paul McCartney all over it for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not trying to be Paul McCartney. It's, it's very much you. But there's so many beautiful harmonies in there. And and I just wondered if that was particularly inspired by by McCartney. But another thing I, I felt listening to it was that it kind of had this beatles-esque kind of thread through the songs you know there was there's lots of noises going on and cuckoo clocks and bird song and it you know it could almost be like you know like a kind of concepty album like a sergeant pepper type thing was that intentional or um do you know it just it was it just happened the way it was put together and and uh i was just being creative and i suppose that's what happens when you know when you're allowed to just be that you end up it's funny this this new one isn't so it doesn't sound so Beatles actually strange strangely um uh the, the the last one definitely had that and uh i mean i do i do really i do really rate paul you know mm-hmm. i mean i rate i rate the whole Beatles thing anyway but uh, it's almost as if everything that has been done, songwriting-wise, you know, Paul's sort of pr- pretty much right, like there. He'd done mm-hmm. it first, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and it's that's in, just inspiring, I think, in it in itself. Uh, but um, it's funny because I, I had to write something after I'd done it, and uh, for the press department of from the PR company that were working it, and um, mm. and when I started writing about it. It definitely felt like more, when you say a concept album, I definitely think it, I didn't know I was doing a concept album. Um, but it sounds to me like it's a stage play of some mm. sort because uh, it opening up with a clock and it was the, it was almost like the time, it starts with time and then time starts to just dissolve and it morphs into music. And it just melts into the music and into the story and time stops. And I think it was a slightly autobiographical 
piece or definitely not about not about me maybe it was sung in first person but uh it could have been about somebody mm. and uh so when i was writing this brief synopsis of the album that was meant to say things like drums by joey <laughs> uh, it was like going down at the seaside you know in a beach hut um he hasn't he's he's got the love of nature but he hasn't got romantic love so he needs to leave the beach hut so he leaves the beach hut and then when he turns around to look at the beach hut and say thank you to the beach hut for for being his home for so many years it's it's a cuckoo clock and he realizes he's a cuckoo bird um then then he, he it's not been his nest at all he's been just kind of like it wasn't his so anyway, he flies off. Anyway, it goes on like that. And I, I just like wrote this stuff and I thought, well, I mean, that sounds like uh, some kind of musical or, you know, I can imagine on stage where there's this cuckoo, this guy dressed as a cuckoo and in a beach hut, you know, as a fisherman and it starts off and it's dancers and you can have somebody like, oh my God, I'm writing this. I'm writing a musical. <laughs> you know, I don't think I think in the same way as album, album. I think probably more like, I'll probably move into stage somehow because I can see this thing on stage where it's just more visual. You've got story, you know, because I, I, I sit here and when I'm not writing songs, I like, I like just, I get stories that come to me. Mm. If I mix the story with the song and, you know, words and singing, it's almost like not as important for me as, a, as an artist. Now I haven't got this zest to want to be, you know, cause when you're younger, you think, oh, I want to be like as big as Paul McCartney or the Beatles or it's about a personal goals, isn't it? In that way, you think, oh, to be known as an artist in that way. And that's, I, th- I think I've moved past that now because, um, or it's just, it's just ended. Maybe, maybe it's a gradual thing. Maybe it ended over, over night, but um, I don't have that same ambition. Mm-hmm. Any, but a new one is coming through and it, maybe it's to do, more stage in that way and, and to not even be part of it in the end because you know i don't feel like i have a need to see them sing these songs mm. no um well you've got such a such a beautiful way of you know expressing these feelings and these thoughts that you have you know and it's it's so visceral and romantic and emotional you know so there's absolutely no reason that that couldn't become you know something that you give away to other people mm. to to do you know and yeah. uh, it totally comes out in that record it's it's so lovely it kind of you know at the time when it came out I, I gave it a listen but just revisiting it today it was just it, it was um really took me on a journey that record it's so so beautiful and it it it, it, it was kind of a long time right since you put anything out when you released that album yeah yeah um I, that's why i'd like to get up to speed with just putting out music anyway because it's mm. it's it doesn't have to be finished in that way. You know, you, I think that's the thing, especially as this virus is kind of like, you know, it's showing, it's showing everybody that just don't be, don't be so much of a perfectionist, just like share your music, share, mm. share like you with this. It's like, you've probably thought about doing a podcast for a long time, but it's like, you know, this has got a way of kick, kicking people up the bum. With doing Absolutely. And especially like you said about perfectionism, yeah, you know, just just like the just getting it out there, or or sticking on a, a camera and doing a live stream, or you know, pe- people actually 
I mean, I have arguments with this with certain members of my band all the time about, you know, about mixes and, you know, perfectionism. And it's just about getting it out there. People don't give a shit, do they? They just want to hear the song and the performance and they want more of it. And if they like you, they, they're they going to love it no matter what state it's in, really. Obviously, if it yeah. sounds sounds like shit, then, <laughs> then you know, less people are going to probably give it a chance. But, you know, well, I think... Things, you know, you, it's like those early ones become, there's something about them, you know. Mm. The, the ones will evolve. I mean, I like it when I see some people... You know, they might start with a yoga class, and at first it's just like a microphone being blown around in the wind in the park. Yeah. And then you see them a year later, and it's like they've got camera angles from up in the trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, they've got a, one of those things that around like a wasp, you know, and they've got a camera on that too. And, um, People yeah. like to see growth as well, don't they, in progression, and they like to feel like they've been part of your journey as well, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not all about, you know, coming out guns, guns blazing with the most perfect everything. Mm. I mean, you know, you see that with uh, with people as well. They do that kind of boxing analogy where they just want the big punch that's going to just make them look amazing. But meanwhile, the guy that just like chips away and wins on points. Mm. You know, yeah, definitely. Slow yeah. and steady sometimes. I love I love your uh, your use of metaphor. Uh, it's just brilliant. It's just like every everything everything there's an answer for, isn't there? <laughs> with with you with you, it seems. It I, I feel like I feel like I've sort of had an hour of therapy here. I feel amazing. I feel ready to go and write, Nick. <laughs> good. I you know if that's my job. Then I'll gladly do that one. I, I totally do. Honestly, mate, it's super inspiring and. Um, yeah, I won't keep you too much longer because um, we've. I think we've been talking for an hour and twenty minutes already. But cool, I really appreciate it. Just before you go, I've been doing this section with every guest I've had on the podcast so far, uh, called One Night Only, and um, basically I'm giving you the option to pick a super group that you could be in, or a five-a-side football team. I don't know. Are you into football much? Um. Uh, my my football is only like Johnny Hollins and Peter Osgood and House right. and Peter Benetti. Yeah, so you're not particularly up to date. Well, that's okay. But yeah, it's funny the, the the musicians who have opted to go for the football team. But you know, you can pick either. But it's it'd be super interesting to know if you could be in like an all star band who who you'd mm. have in the band. So there's there's you on guitar and vocals, of course. And then who would you put around you? God, I definitely have Johnny Marr there would you yeah you're a big fan oh yeah what a you know he's he's like um you know you know you always need somebody that's really really if i was if i was making if i was making clothes or something Mm. he's like a master stitcher you know you'd have your first the master stitcher that was just there weaving yeah brilliant cloth Besides you, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, those, you know, those, uh, those tapestries that he, he wove. <laughs> Weaved. Amazing. Amazing, amazing things. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he'd been in brilliant bands as well. It's not just the stuff he weaves, you know, when he played in the Pretenders as well, he played those songs really well. Mm. He was in The Pretenders when um, Blair 
Cunningham was in The Pretenders. Yeah, oh, what so, a great guy Blair is. I don't know if I told you, actually, but we a couple of years ago, we bumped into him in, in Chiswick, I think, and ended up having a curry with him. It was so lovely. Would you remember when we bumped into, when I was with Blair and we bumped into you? Oh, that was another time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it was like, yeah, just, it was like sliding doors. We just kept bumping into Haircut 100 members, uh, <laughs> post-studio usually, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, when, um, when Sarah and I went on a first date, um, Phil Smith, the saxophone player, was there. Right. <laughs> um, it's like, I always remember that. Just <laughs> that, you know, VNA. Um, you know, Phil Smith was there. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely Johnny Marr. Um, I think I'd have Prince. Um, does it have to be dead or alive? Because just Prince can no, play. Dead, dead or alive. Dead or alive. Is he's God? It's good, the, the god of everything. God of conf, talk about confidence. Yeah, know, supreme confidence. So, you know, his musicianship. Yeah, you know, everything about him. Everything is all around. I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw him live. I, I saw him live about three times, and you know, there were completely different shows every time I saw him. And the last one was down in Kent when he. They arrived on a helicopter, um, all jumped out and jumped on stage and just started sounding like jamming. Um, and, but then what they were doing was sound checking. Right. So they would obviously come in early and set up the whole stage. But they just came in and were just, it was kind of just improvisation. But it was also suddenly worked out. This improvisation was doing stuff and then going into different not just tempo changes, but different keys all at once. Almost and, like an overture. Yeah. yeah. And, he was, you know, and he was calling it out, and then he was dancing, and the dancers were dancing with him, and you just thought, this would have been choreographed for a year if yeah. I were doing it. How on earth? And, you know, the confidence and ease with which they were doing it as well. You know, again, it's that thing of not being scared and not having the self deprecation and kind of going oh my am I really a good oh, I'm not sure are you sure about this and you know being as stiff with it and that whole thing of the brass players were just they were just you know obviously they're brilliant musicians but they're just they're just then forgetting that and just celebrating their talent but also enjoyment enjoying mm. playing what they were doing and so you as an audience member you're just sitting there kind of going Wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow! And and spotting them, it's like a circus going on, and people spinning around and doing stuff, and and the sound coming out. You just thought, you know, when you got the drummer going, and the whole band playing with him, and then into the previous thing, you just whoa! What else is here? You know, and then this prince going, oh, and he's going, and other dancers coming in and going, and then suddenly stopping like, and they'd be off and just going like, I just want to, what, I just want to, and then going off into some song that he'd just done, and doing three bars of that, and then doing another song, and then and then suddenly just doing a few bars, nothing compares. Do you 
I just couldn't believe this, you know. <laughs> helicopter, you know, and they were just doing this, that they'd all bundled on stage and having fun. Mm. Um, that was one of the gigs. So, wow, having him in your band, yeah, <laughs> the super confidence where somebody so obviously not terrified to be on stage, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've, we've all seen that amazing guitar solo he does with Jeff. Yeah. Danny Harrison and stuff. While my guitar gently weeps, right? Oh, man. It's I mean, incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to have daydreams of doing something like that in my school, you know, just grabbing a guitar in the school assembly and playing like that and mm. guitar hero and, and things. So, um, yeah. So, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, how about the rhythm section? Uh, I think Prince would do the whole thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, God. Um, bass players, God, there's so, so many. I know so many bass players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love so many bass players as well. Um, hmm. I think I think the Blair on drums anyway. Blair, yeah. I mean, he in the pocket doesn't even come into it, you know. I mean, he is so in the pocket, isn't he? So solid. Um, I mean, he even made songs that were supposed to be kind of, you know. There's a song Hecate on Under Just Out called "Surprise Me Again," which is quite, quite loose, quite kind of. It started out very. It's like an early Genesis beginning, you know, it's a bit proggy and then goes into a sort of bit slightly Joseph K kind of orange juicy thing. Mm. And Blair on it just makes it groove. Even it, it's almost could be funky. It just sounds like it's just, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, he just does it innately. It's just in him to be, to be like that, to be mm. pocket. If you just said, like sometimes at gigs, I used to turn around and go, hit me B, and he'd start drumming. He'd just be smiling at you, and then he's, and then it'd be like, he's drumming, I don't know. And it's, he could drum for for ages, and it would just be exactly yeah. all the time. There's no wavering at all. And, you know, um, and he's, he's got the art of being able to less is more with a player. You know, he's not just in drum fills. He's like the opposite of Keith Moon in every way. Mm. I, can't, I could never have ever, ever imagined Blair being in The Who. No. I think that would be the, the gig. But, um, you know, I, could, I couldn't imagine Keith Moon being in Earth, Wind & Fire either. No. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be one hell of a party, though. <laughs> 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 yeah. Hmm. Bass players. That's an interesting one. Hmm. I think McCartney. I think he's my favourite bass player. Mm. He he'd be good for a. He's got a couple of tunes in his back pocket as well. If you ever needed some extra material. 
He has, hasn't he? You know, you yeah. know the acoustic out, and I think he's got a good drive, work work ethic as well. I mean, apparently he just drove the Beatles. The reason that they had so many had so much stuff and songs finished was because of his work. I mean, look at him. Look at him playing live now. I mean, he mm. is just he doesn't need to do that. No, but he's doing it. He gets out there all the time and and just he just geeks and sings. You know what? I saw him a couple of years ago at I think it was in Birmingham. It might have been the NEC or something like a big big arena in Birmingham. I think it might be called something else now. And uh, he's he's always got sort of a bad rap for being a bit cheesy and a bit twee or whatever, as Lee McCartney. But there was this guy, he was doing the whole thumbs up, double thumbs up Beatles thing, you know. And, and there's this guy, and he must have been asking him for to sign his CD or something, you know. And <laughs> you, could, you could tell McCartney's got an ego about him, you know, but he's still cheery and happy and jolly. And this guy just would not stop. And he was sort of like talking to the audience in between songs. And he was like, you want me? You want? And he's like, you want, you want me to sign your CD now? And he was just like, I'm a bit busy, man. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, the whole, and the whole audience just obviously, and, and then he went and signed the CD for this, yeah. for this guy. And then, you know, so it was all like sort of bit cheesy and whatever, just made a little joke. And then he just sat at the piano and went, the long and winding. And you're just like, you forget that that man has written you know, just the songs he's written, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And you realise that, you know, not everybody's going to write that. I mean, he's the, he's the one. He's the, like, Mozart of our age, you know. He's, oh, I totally agree. He's yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's just amazing. I mean, it's a, an honour to even be sort of in the same, alive in the same period. It's brilliant. Mm. Well, not only are you alive in the same period, mate, you're you're creating beautiful pieces of music as well. If he's Mozart, then you're Bach or someone. And and uh, <laughs> it's it's been honestly, it's it's such a privilege to um to catch up with you and, and you're super inspiring. And I just wanna yeah, thank you so much for well, I'm a dog bark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, so great to catch up with you, man. Yeah, likewise, man. So there we have it, another episode over. Thanks so much to Nick for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. For more info on Nick and his upcoming album, you can go and visit nickhayward.com. Next week's guest is a brilliant artist and drummer, Matt Hector, best known for his work with Iggy Pop, Sinead O'Connor, and most recently, Razorlight. So make sure you tune in for that one. Please tell your friends about the pod and go give us a like on Facebook at Stayin' Alive Pod and give us a five-star review on iTunes. This was a Jesse Smith production. Music by Neil X, Mark Garfield and me. If you or your friends or your business or whatever are interested in sponsoring the show, you can get in touch at stayinalivepod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Look after one another, and until next time, stay alive.